We're talking with uh, Randy Backman of uh, Backman Turner Overdrive, and uh, Randy, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. It's great to be talking to you. Well, you, you brand new album out uh, live at the uh, Roseland Ballroom, uh, New York City, and I guess the question, uh, the the live album, uh, the, really, it really neat. Uh, what was the what was the idea behind that? Well, Turner and I had got together to play Sweden Rock a couple of years ago, and we did just just didn't want to play all the old material, so we did a new album together called Backman and Turner. And uh, we played Sweden Rock and had 38,000 people and were quite blown away by it. Then we went and played the um, High Voltage Festival in London, England, and 8,000 people. And we're playing on with, you know, with our old friends, you know, like uh, Def Leppard and Foghat and uh, Foreigner and Journey and Peter Frampton and all these guys. It was really amazing. And we came back to Canada and the States and played some more gigs. And uh, got asked to do a 3D camera shoot for PBS with 12 cameras in 3D and high definition and everything. And that would be at the Roseland Ballroom. So we agreed to do that. And that's what this live album came from. So we were very excited to do it. So it includes all of our hits from Back Return to Overdrive. It includes a Guess Who song or two, Shake on Over and American Woman. And Paul Schaefer joined us on the encore for Taking Care of Business. And uh, it's out as a live album. And it's a really good representation uh, what people will hear if they come and see Bachman and Turner uh, in your neighborhood. You know, and the the thing I was impressed with, Randy, was was just the, the sound quality of it. I mean, you know, you get a, a live album and you're usually thinking, wow, this is you know, going to be a lot of crowd noise and all that stuff. But you guys mic'd it up so that, I mean, you hear the crowd noise at the end, but during the song itself, it sounds like a studio album. You know, generally, I worked with my engineer quite a bit on that. We wanted, you know, when the, when the audience is up loud, there's kind of a, there's a funny ambience of the room. Sure. So I think we took that down during the song and maybe bring it up at the end for the right. applause or if the audience is singing Taking Care of Business with us or something like that. Well, you have, uh, you're kind of a, a musical gypsy, Randy. I mean, you've, you, <laughs> you have been uh, all over the place. A couple of, you know, you know most people are, are lucky if they have one, you know, super group that they're involved with. Uh, you have had two, plus, you know, the stuff that you've done on your own and with other people. I mean, you you just obviously love music and and love working with uh, with uh, with different uh, combinations of people, I guess. I do, and I'm always looking for like the next mountain to climb and <laughs> to come from Winnipeg and be friends with uh, Burton Cummings, Fred Turner, and Neil Young, and to still play and visit and work with them off and on for the last couple of decades is really quite amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing Neil and his new crazy horse thing probably at the end of in November in Toronto. And uh, I always go visit him on stage. Sometimes I join him on stage for a song or two. And I just finished playing with uh, Burton Cummings for a couple of years, and now I'm with Fred Turner. And uh, it's we're like we're teenagers still in Winnipeg. You know, and speaking of that, I mean, you started this business when you were just just a teen yourself, and and I think I, I saw an interview where you said you actually uh, started out what playing the accordion of all things. Uh, and that's no, no, my brother played accordion. Oh, I played it? violin. Okay, <laughs> how does that translate? Well, I learned to play. I learned to play on the accordion because uh-huh. he was so little he couldn't play it. So I used to get him to <laughs> put it down sideways and pull the end and pump it. And I learned to play in the key of C, and that's how I wrote these eyes in the key of C on piano. Wow. And then uh, you said that Elvis was the, was the thing that really uh, changed your, your life and, uh, and got, you, got you going with rock and roll, I guess, right? Well, yeah, I played violin from the age of five till about 14. All you play in violin is melody. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite a melody man. I think that's helped me write songs. But when I was about 15, I saw Elvis on TV, and it was so alien to the classical music I was playing on violin. 
I actually said, what is that? What is that? It's, it's so wild. What is it? And the answer was, well, that's called rock and roll. It's a new kind of music for teenagers. Well, I was a teenager, so that was for me. And it was the devil's music, and that was for me. So <laughs> I switched the guitar and started to play. Uh, wrote Taking Care of Business. Years later, Elvis adopted that as his motto. TCB, it's on his tombstone and all his memorabilia. If you go down to Graceland, it's on the T-shirts and the mugs. And so that's quite a cute little history of me and Taking Care of Business and Elvis. And then I managed to get from his bass player TCB necklace with TCB and a lightning bolt through it, which kind of completed the circle for me. Man, you you got a song on this album, "Shaking All Over," which really was, I guess, the the, the beginning of of your uh, your journey with the Guess Who, as far as a, a recording. And I'm fascinated by that story because uh, uh, it was kind of put out with, uh, you know, the the whole name Guess Who was kind of a, a kind of a play on maybe the the British invasion thing, and it might be the Beatles type of thing, right? Well, we didn't have a name at the time of the band. We were called the Reflections. Mm-hmm. And then a record came out by the Reflections called Just Like Romeo and Juliet. So we got a letter from their lawyer saying, you guys have to change your name. And we had recorded the song Shake on Over, sent it into the record label, and they said, what is the name of your band? And we said, we don't know. We don't have a name. Every name we had tried had been taken. Uh-huh. So they said, well, we think this is such a hit record, and it's right in the middle of the British invasion. We want to put it out. We're just going to put Guess Who on the label and kind of start a rumor that maybe it's Brian Jones and George Harrison and a couple other guys and Pete Townsend who are, can't say their name because they're, they're in other bands and other labels that they recorded this at a party uh, in England and they put it out. It went to number one in Canada and top 20 in Billboard in the States. And this is like 1964, 65. We were still teenagers in high school kind of thing. And uh, that got us the name The Guess Who. That was our first big hit. And to do it live at the... Uh, at the, at the Roseland Barm on this live CD, it was Paul Schaefer's idea, who was a friend of mine from Canada who played uh, keyboards way, way back, and, you know, he runs the David Letterman band. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you've got to do Shaken all over. And so I, we, he, he joined us for Shaken and, um, and uh, taking care of business. And it was absolutely fun having him on stage.
shaking all over. Now, when you were with the uh, guests, who I mean, you were really uh, one of the first bands out of Canada to really hit it big. Now, I know you know you can look in the United States. I know like Paul Anko is a Canadian, but then he kind of came down here to earn his living. I mean, you guys were actually still living in Canada and doing some things. And I think what was it, American Woman, when it hit number one, was uh, really a milestone for for you guys. Why why was it so long in coming from I guess Canada to get you know into the into the the American music scene? Well, there wasn't the communication there is today or there has been for the last 10 years there was no MTV mm-hmm. there was no national radio radio was was um, all little tiny towns and you might remember this or your listeners know you remember you drove from one town to another the radio would vanish right and as you got closer closer to the next town you could pick up a radio station again so when you had a hit record you had to go and play every single town that was playing your records and so we toured and toured and toured. It takes a long time to tour the United States. And living in Winnipeg, which is the middle of the continent, you know, right above Minneapolis, right. it was a long drive from everywhere. And we never made enough, a lot of money in those days. It was two or $300 a night. So to drive from Winnipeg <laughs> to San Francisco for a gig or to Boston or Texas, yeah. we'd spend all our money on the gas tank and have no money. So it took a long, long, long time. But as things progressed and got better... We wrote better songs, and then when Cummings and I started to write and wrote the, the, the string of hits, these eyes laughing, she's come undone, no sugar tonight, no time American woman, they just came bam, 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 bam. Every three or four months we had a song ready. We were writing like mad, and the record label was eating it up, and suddenly American radio station was playing us and looking for the next record and the next song from us, so it was real easy to put them out. And then American Woman just was all a matter of timing, uh, when it came out, it was like they were ready for us to rock. Uh, and to jump from the ballad, These Eyes, to American Woman in basically two years, sure, that was a big jump. Yes, it was. But the transition in between made sense to go from These Eyes to Laughing to She's Come Undone, which is kind of a jazz bossy song. No Sugar Tonight and No Time, and then American Woman. We kind of, each song kind of got progressively harder or more rock and roll. Let's 
Was that like personally, Randy? I mean, you obviously were big in Canada, but then all of a sudden, you, you know, you hit in the states. You get American Woman number one, and you guys explode all over the place. And I know you had some time in London before that, so you were a bit in international, anyhow. But I mean, talk about life changing. I mean, your 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 life just had to it just had to go like uh, warp speed, right? Well, I remember when American Woman hit number one. We were still making seven hundred and fifty dollars a night, <laughs> and then the price jumped to ten thousand a night. Wow. And then I had to leave the band. Yeah. And I'd been with the band nine years at that point, so you could see the heartbreak involved in me leaving that band. Right. And I had a gallbladder problem, medical problem. I had to leave and get medical attention for like nine months. Well, when you're in a band and you have the number one album and single in the country, mm. you don't stop touring. So the band went on without me. I took a year to, to get healthy and had a couple of kids and started the next band that would become Backbenturner Overdrive. So in other words, I took some time out and kind of franchised, yeah. franchised the music out of Winnipeg and came back with a heavier rock band. Well, sure. And, and was there a hard feel? I mean, here you are. You just get the guess who going where you want it. You get sick, and then obviously they have to keep going and take off without you. I mean, was there bitterness on your part of, uh, hey, uh, hey guys, I was, a, I was a part of this. You were literally a part of it before Burton Cummings. I mean, you were a part of the first incarnation of what became the guess who. was. was yeah, it? well, there was, you know, obviously it wasn't a great vibe for me right. or for them. And when you're, when, you know, when somebody breaks up with you or you break up with someone else, whether you're buddies or your girlfriend or something, 
um, to make the break proper, there has, there has to be some animosity, or you don't break up. Right. You know what I mean? There has to be a little bit of, i got to get away from this person, they're, they're insane, or I'm insane, or <laughs> we just don't match. So, we, you know, we split up, and uh, uh, after time goes by, you look at it, and you go, man, was I ever a jerk? And they might look at it and go, man, was I ever a jerk? And you get back together and go, like, I'm real sorry. I didn't know you were thinking that. Right. Uh, you didn't know I was thinking what I was thinking, and these things were going on in my life, and we were so busy touring and traveling and recording that we lost track of being friends and being human and we just became you know machines and without feelings and, and that kind of happens to every band it's not sure. just us it's every single band is the same we're talking with randy bachman and and, and then randy you 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 formed this group with uh, fred turner and uh, bachman turner overdrive and that had to be vindication for you i mean to, to be able to you know just get right back on the bicycle again and, and take off in the charts i guess uh, i mean that had to be a, a feeling of kind of take that to a certain extent wasn't it yeah there's actually no difference when we when we uh, started to rehearse a couple of years ago uh, you know, we we go to Winnipeg, we all plug in, and Fred said, so what do we do? And I said, let's get right to it. Let's try Let It Ride. Uh-huh. So I play the guitar riff, we sing the intro, and suddenly he comes in, you can see the morning! And me and the brand just broke into smiles and came a hug and said, nothing's changed. We, we are back, and we're exactly the way we were, and isn't life great?
And you're also able to keep your relationship with Burton Cummings. I, I believe what you, you tour, you still do some tours with him as well? Yeah, uh, I toured with him up until a couple of years ago. Then I've been busy with Turner. There's talk of the three of us doing something, Backman, Turner, and Cummings, which <laughs> kind of would be like a weird, cool... Yeah. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, I don't know. Uh, we certainly have a lot of hits to play. I mean, dozens and dozens yeah. of hits. I mean, I, I played, you know, two dozen with Cummings, and I played two dozen with Turner on stage. To put all that together would be quite an amazing show and really celebrate Winnipeg and Canadian music. And add Neil Young in there, we'd be able to do a four-hour show that would knock your socks off. Oh, man, tell me about it. That would be fantastic. And, and, and this, like I said, this, this album itself, this project here is just fantastic, the, 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 the live version and, and you guys just uh, hitting it off again. It, it's so great to, to see you. I was going to say back, but you, you never went away. I mean, you've always been, been doing something. And also, you even do what we do here. You, you're, you're doing a radio show, I believe, right? I do. Uh, I started a radio show about five years ago in Canada. It's called Randy's Vinyl Tap. I play all my old vinyl, and I tell my old stories, just like the stories I've been telling you now about different artists and Elvis and stuff. Yeah. And it's on Sirius Satellite 159 in the States. I have a book coming out called Randy's Vinyl Tap Stories. It's coming out in September, and people can get that on their uh, radio or Sirius Satellite, uh, cbcradio.ca, cbc.ca in Canada. And it's two hours every Saturday night, and it's, like I said, me reminiscing stories of Elvis, Little Richard, Brian Wilson, mm. Ringo Starr, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, uh, Chuck Berry, everybody, everybody who I met and played with, <laughs> which is pretty substantial in my 40 years in rock and roll. And I play their music and tell the stories behind it, and it's been a lot of fun. And you got to be living the life. I mean, ever since you were a kid, a teenager, I mean, doing something that, that you know, a lot of us just dream of doing. I mean, do you ever look and thank the lucky stars and say, wow, you know, I've, I've never really had to, you know, work in a shop or anything like that. I've been a, you know, a guitar player my whole life. Well, I did have jobs, and that was to make my father happy. <laughs> he, he never thought I could make a living at music, but I started playing violin when I was five. Uh-huh. I remember the first day in school, so I'm six years of age, and we're all sitting in school. This is the first morning in school, and the teacher's trying to do what's called a seating plan, you know, which has all the seats and everybody's name written down so she could call you by name. Right. So she said, I'm going to start here, and I want you to go down and tell me your name and what your dad does and what you want to be when you grow up. So it gets to the girl in front of me. She says her name, and da-da-da, and then it gets to me, and I say, my name is Randy Backman. My dad's an optician, and I'm a musician. And she said, but what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said the same thing. My name's Randy Packman. My dad's an optician. I'm a musician. Uh -huh. She asked me again, what do you want to be when you grow up? I got up from my desk crying. I ran home. I lived a block from the school. <laughs> I run home. My mother's doing the laundry. The dish, the, the, you know, the dish uh, washing machine's going. And she says, what are you doing home? And I said, I can't stand school. I, I get all the questions wrong. I quit. She says, you can't quit the school. She takes me back to school, and, and I'm crying. And, and she says, the, teach, the teacher says, what's wrong? And so we sorted that out. And the teacher said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you already knew what you were going to do when you grew up, that you are a musician. Uh. And that solidified it. In grade one, I was a musician. Wow. And I just switched instruments from violin. Like I said, when I saw Elvis when I was 15, I switched to guitar. I've been playing music all my life. It's my joy. It's my passion. I'm a one-trick pony, but I can do that trick 
really well, and that's just a joy doing it over and over and over. As, as a writer, Randy, is, is, are you, do you consider yourself a word person, a, a music person, or does do one come, you know, does, does the melody come uh, They first? both kind of come with each other, and I think my strength is in songwriting and certainly is not in singing or guitar playing because <laughs> there's millions better than me, but it's really hard to top some of the songs I've written. I mean, I've been fortunate to be part of writing you know, great ballads like with Burton Cummings, These Eyes, writing She's Come Undone on my own, a really cool jazz song, jamming with the band American Woman, and then, you know, doing a taking care of business, writing some really touching mm-hmm. love songs and ballads and some jazzy and some really, really fun rock and roll. Can, can you but, you know, it's taken 40 years, and yeah. it takes a dozen songs with 11 throwaways to have that one good song. So it <laughs> comes with doing it and doing it and doing it, and writing in the hundreds of songs to get, you know, 12 good ones for an album. Yeah, So exactly. it's something you kind of got to embrace and just do it all the time. And I have, and I feel that's why I've been successful. That I just, I don't take no for an answer. If something stops me, I go around it. If it's a big mountain, I climb over it or go around it, take a detour, and just keep going. These eyes Cry every night For you these arms long to hold you again. The hurtings on me, yeah. And I will never be free, no, my baby, no, no. You gave a promise to me, yeah. You broke it. You broke it.
is there is there one song maybe for Guess Who and then maybe for Mike uh, Turner Overdrive that that is personal favorites? I mean, can you actually pick one or two, or are they all like your kids? Uh, they all have their own life. I think with the Guess Who, it would probably be She's Come Undone. I wrote that alone, mm-hmm. and it's such a meaningful song to so many people. It's been recorded by many people, jazz guys. Kurt Elling is a great version and won a Grammy for it. Got nominated for a Grammy for that a couple of years ago. She's come undone. She didn't know what she was headed for. And when I found what she was headed for, it was too late. She's come undone. She found a mountain that was far too high. When she found out she couldn't fly It was too late It's too late She's gone too far She's lost the sun She's come undone She wanted truth but all she got was lies Came the time to realize Accident by accident on stage, putting two weird things together, 
singing it in one take, having a guy walk in and play piano, walking out, and us not even knowing who he was, <laughs> making that record a magical moment on vinyl, and it's still my anthem to this day.
I got to ask you a, an urban legend question here about you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, and somebody, I had heard somewhere that you had written that with kind of a dig at your brother or something. You had a stuttering problem. Is, is that true at all? Yes, the urban myth is true. That's one that is true. Uh, the song was not to be on an album. It was an outtake that I went and stuttered over and was going to send this one version on a cassette to my brother. And the head of our label heard it, and he said, that's a hit record, you've got to put it on the album. That was the first BTO album that had a ninth song. They all had four songs aside, uh-huh. being vinyl, they all had eight songs. And that was the first album. I then juggled the songs, put the four long ones on one side to get the extra fifth song on the second side, and put that out and told him it was a big mistake. And he proved me wrong because it was a big million seller and went to 20... Uh, Number one in twenty-two countries. Wow! What you? What was your brother's take on that? Was he, did he take exception that you made? Well, I tell you what. After that came out, he stopped stuttering. <laughs> you cured him, man. Uh, I think so. It made him very uh, uh, self-conscious. Obviously, and he went to a speech therapist. Wow! And today, he's one of the greatest businessmen in, uh, in Canada.
Well, Randy, you've taken some time with us, and I don't want to hold you up. I know you're very, very busy. I appreciate it. The album is called Live at the uh, Roseland Ballroom, New York City, and it is fantastic. Double CD set, and I'm assuming uh, folks can uh, but pick this up at their favorite record shop, I guess, right? Uh, if there is a record shop near you, and I know there, and there's a DVD of that show also coming out. They're all in Walmart, uh-huh. and you go to backmanandturner.com or randybackman.com. They could buy it online. Uh, probably get it on iTunes real soon. It's brand new right now, so you'll find it. It's out there. And you also say you have a, a biography. Do you say it's already out, or it's in the process of coming out? Yeah, there's a the, the Vinyl Tap book is coming out. I have a biography out, taking care of business. Uh, you can find that all at randybackman.com on the internet and. Uh, that's where to shop these days. <laughs>